Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. <clears throat> Hi, it's um, Wednesday night. We just finished some Gedalia. Uh, and I think I'll skip the bio this week because, you know, it's already most of the week gone. And Rosh Hashanah we just concluded. If you're in my business, you have to work hard in Rosh Hashanah. And now i got to spend all day trying to think up stuff to put together for a Shabbat Shabbat Russia, you can imagine. So um, let me just say a few words about the Parsha, which is being very kindly uh, sponsored by uh, Mishpacha Stavansky, even though it's not a Tefillah podcast, but he was very nice and offered to be the first one of the year because this is the first podcast we're doing in um, Tavshin Mem Gimel. Okay. So uh, thank you very much. <clears throat> now, um, it's Parsha Vayelach, of course which is the shortest of all the parshas. That's the one. If you have bar mitzvah, that's the one you want your kid to have. And um, basically, the, the the most powerful part is the reference to the Hester Punim. Uh, at this last part of the parsha, it's not a long parsha. God calls Moshe together with Joshua and then really wants to talk to Moshe. And he tells him, uh, some bad news <clears throat> in the sense that I want you to know what's going to happen after you die. <laughs> and the whole thing, one thing is going to fall apart. Just want you to know that. <laughs> Shalom. Because he says that uh, you're about to die. And your children, the, the Jewish people, have not yet entered the land of Canaan, but once they do, in whose midst they're coming. And by the way, it's a very nice double entendre because you can read the Hebrew, that the Jews are going to be coming into the midst of their land and they'll pick up the gods of the Canaanites. But it also, in Hebrew, admits of the following. That the arts will go and be care of the Jews, <clears throat> which means the Jews really be into it. The 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 uh, uh, pagan gods of Canaan will really be shakua uh, deep in the Jews bekerbo, which is what happened. as we all know, that eventually the vice region and that whole business was destroyed. And God said, I just want you to know once you're gone, the whole thing's going to fall apart. They're going to mizana, and then they'll break their uh, bow with me. And Hashem said, I can tell you beforehand that I'm going to get angry, <coughs> which is it's very interesting. Remember, it said, so they'll abandon me, I'll abandon them. And I'll do a Hester Punim with them. <coughs> this is the um, the interesting part. This idea of the Hester Panim, which will result in which means that they'll suffer uh, greatly. They'll be hit by a lot of Tsaras, Rabbis, Ritzaras. 
And they'll say, because God's not here, that therefore these things happen to me. No, they'll blame it on Hashem. Now, this is a powerful theme for the following reason. The notion of Hester Punim is an interesting metaphor because God doesn't have a face, really. So, but you use that term. The Chumash uses that term. It doesn't mean Hester Punim. In general, well, l- let me put it this way. Uh, the Jews are going to think, and this has been true throughout history, that by picking up the Elohei arts, they're going to be, they're going to avoid trouble. That is self-delusional. They think that what's causing them to be unliked is their religious stuff. Uh, no. It's who they are. Uh, the Jews cause their own anti-Semitism too often in history. We have good ones among us. We have the other kind too. Whether you want to admit it or not. And, you know, the other people, the guy say like this, they say, you know, you're okay, but all these others are bad, and you don't do anything about it. Therefore, let's get rid of all, get rid of all of them. I can't be, you know, admitted to my country the good Jews and not the bad ones. It never works like that. Either you let them in or you don't let them in. And if you let them in, the good come in, and also did the bad. And by the time it's all over, they see all the trouble was caused by the hidden. But the Jews never get that. They'll always say like this: Why is all this stuff against us? People are full of prejudice. Never admit anything's wrong with them. And what they don't perceive is that the lack of an uprising against them is a divine providence for it. That's the way we were set up in our history, in our future. That we're always disliked, maybe we cause it, maybe we don't. And the reason nothing happens to the degree that it doesn't is because there's the reverse of Hester upon him. There's a divine providence that keeps these things at bay. So, for example, if you look around today, if you're honest, the anti-Semitism is rising all the time. It's a lot bigger than when I was young. Now, there are structural ways of explaining it. Once upon a time, you had sort of a controlled media with the three channels. <clears throat> they have an uncontrolled media. Be that as it may, whatever you want to say. The fact of the matter is, whatever was there below the surface is now rising to the surface and not taking the trouble to hide it. As we know. The number of attacks on Jews is is, is 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 always rising, and we say, well, you know, whatever. It's it's it's, it's this reason and that reason. We won't say it's it, it's us. Now, the parsha is saying, <clears throat> People say God's not within me. Notice God's asleep at the switch. You're supposed to be protecting us from this. If you or honest, you'll see the survival of the state of Israel since 48 till today is a, is a nace. By that I mean all kind of international events had to happen in certain ways. And certain things had to pop out, pop up out of nowhere to see that it's a, the opposite of Hester Punim. That there's like a certain um, hashkacha that's organizing things in such a way to prevent the natural course of events from happening. To prevent all these zillionish million Arabs coming up and gang up in Israel, for example, or Iran or whatever. And that's the Rabbanu Shalom's way of running the world. I've said, made this point many times. It's a certain way of viewing current events, it's a certain way of viewing history. 
it's not the regular academic way, but it's a certain way of viewing history. And I think, you you, you know, one, once you see, you can see it. <laughs> so what it means to say it's like it's the natural order of events, or maybe I should put it differently, the usual order of events is that the Claudius are all surviving by an ace. <clears throat> For whatever reason or other, this group doesn't gain power in this country or that country. For whatever reason, <clears throat> a certain set of, <clears throat> excuse me, certain set of events happen and attention is diverted away. <clears throat> Believe you me, anybody normal knows that Stamazoi left to things on their own. The Ukraine will be a much big uh, anti-Semitism place. Because, <clears throat> however, of the mega events of Eastern Europe, ever since 1945 and ever since 1990, so this has compelled <clears throat> excuse me, attention to be drawn to other ways. Believe you me, you tease these countries like Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Belarus, all, they, they would like to embrace the Holocaust or something. No, no, they not exactly, but they would like to say, you know, that it was that it was a good thing they got rid of the Jews of it. But they know they can't do that because they showed themselves anti-Semitic too much. It'll play into the hands of Putin. Get it? <clears throat> Why is he? What's his excuse for invading Ukraine? Oh, I'm going to stamp out the Nazis over there. See, the Russians are playing this. They've always done this in their history as a card, <clears throat> and because the Eastern Europeans now are. Have, have had bitter experience, they've wised up, so they're careful not to unleash their full fury against Klal Yisrael, and in the opposite, play ball with it, with Israel and this and that and the other. I'm just trying to say, Jermaine Shalom set the whole world up in, in, in an interesting way. <clears throat> and this is an example of what you call, not Hester Punim, so what do we call it, if you don't call it Hester Punim? Guess what, buddy? You say it twice a day, three times a day. You see, Sim Shalom Tobu Rochachim Bechez Rachim Lino Klal Yisrael Mecha Barchino Vino Kolono Kechod <clears throat> we talk about God's favor as Orponov. He doesn't have a face. It's expression. Orponecho. And that's divine providence, favorable providence. And we say in the Davening all the time, Your very life depends on Orponecho. That's why we pray for it. The, the reverse of that is the absence of Orpanim. And then you're left to, 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 to fend on your own. Um, good luck. <clears throat> now, a secular liberal Jew probably figures that given an ordinary secular liberal setup, uh, provided you have a country with constitutional guarantees and, you know, uh, how should I put a... a, a uh, Civilized culture, you don't need God. Uh, you know, you can, you, the society is, is safe enough on its own because of the, the structures, the social and political structures that have been put into place. Well, we see all that's fragile. And I'll say it again, you know, it looks don't look great in America and a lot of other Western countries either. I just saw an ad, I mean, an article online in one of those papers where a girl was complaining about anti-Semitism in Scotland and Edinburgh. <clears throat> Where, as far as I know, years ago, Scotland used to be famous long ago for not having that, you see? But there's all kind of mega trends, the Arab, you know, and the influx and this and that and the other, that have triggered these things. And that's simply part of the, you know, the ebb and flow of, of events. And what it means is, you want to make it on your own, you're delusional. Because as long as you maintain a Jewish identity, that itself will draw the anti-Semitism on you. 
because either for this reason or that reason, could be because of narratives like you have with the Arabs and the Jews, could be because of bad Jews and make the other ones look bad, whatever, the, it doesn't matter, you see? It's going to happen. And uh, the only possible way out of that is like, to, you know, to, to lose your identity. That was, uh, you know, some some Jews, I guess I'm deliberately going to marry out and, and lose any knowledge, people lose any knowledge of who we are, and, and that way we'll be safe. But, you know, the Rabbani Shalom has all kinds of tricks. Now they're inventing this genetic testing. It's not going to do you any good because with the new science, they'll be able to tell who's a, who was Jewish 10 generations ago, you see? So you can't hide. It won't be successful in that way. So it's very interesting. You either have Orpanov or you have Hester Panov. You either have the faith, the shine of the face, which provides, as I say, Chaim Bashalm and all the rest of it, or you have the absence of that, and then you're left to chance and contingency. So what are the chances of a small helpless minority, you know, making it uh, out there in the big world on the basis of chance and contingency, particularly when that minority, you know, now has all trouble in the Middle East because it has its own country. And second, when you know the minority is usually going to be economically successful and get everybody else angry at that sort of thing. Uh, plus other reasons as well. So you have a really scary uh, a passage in, in, in the Tanakh today, in the, in the Chumash, that, you know, when there'll be Zonach Reel Hayars, I won't be there. The best equivalent, I said this in the morning at a class, best equivalent is, would you leave kids alone playing in a park without an adult watching them? Or if you prefer the different metaphor, would you want to go swimming in a pool without a lifeguard? He doesn't have to hurt you. Just the lifeguard shouldn't be there. If you have a jerk lifeguard, he'll go take a half hour off, you know, get a pizza, talk to his girlfriend. Meanwhile, somebody can drown. Uh, he didn't do it. But the absence of the hashkocha enabled things to take their course. And over the course of time, it's going to happen that some people are going to drown and need the help of a lifeguard. That's why you hire a lifeguard. Or if you leave kids, it might be a better metaphor, a, a small kids alone. I mean, who would leave, what kind of idiot leaves small kids alone without being unchaperoned, without somebody being there? He said, oh, I'll go away for half hour, an hour, get a coffee and come back later on. Chas v'chalil, what could happen in a very short time? This won't be mean when Hester pun him. I'm not there. I check out, you know? And we know that the, the results of that can be pretty disastrous. <clears throat> so it's very interesting that Hashem is saying, they will live lives as if I didn't exist. That's Zonach Reel Heinecharatz. So I'll live a life, you know, I'll conform to that. If if you live, you know, Zonach Reel Heinecharatz, then, then there is no God, no uh, supreme God. Okay, so then live with the consequences of that. You see? Live with the consequence of that. Now, most people aren't into history so much. I, I mean, I get that. So you don't see these patterns. But anybody who does, does see the patterns. And it's, you know, pretty remarkable. Um, and I never know when I read the news every day, you know, what the future bears. For example, Iran today is a tremendous threat. I mean, mom's tremendous. Imagine that Putin is buying missiles from Iran. Um, but... On the other hand, now this girl died and they're making all kind of riots over there. Now the regime there is extremely strong and they'll probably suppress it. Probably without too much difficulties. But you never know. When I say you never know, you don't know what the Rebbe has in mind. <laughs> you get it? You don't know what the what the divine plan is, what the chess game is. Who figured that a war would break out in Eastern Europe? Nobody. If you would ask me a year ago, I would say, well, nah, Russia's past that stage. You understand? Uh, they learned already 
that that kind of conquest doesn't work. I think I made this speech already. You know, a year ago, I said it's not going to happen because intelligent countries don't want to take over other countries anymore in a physical way. Raise your hand if you want the United States to conquer South America, for example. Why would you want it? <laughs> it's the opposite, you see? Um, if anything, there are parts of the country you probably want to get rid of. Uh, because the goal is generally to have a uh, successful, peaceful, and prosperous country. So if owning more karka, you know, takes away from that, then why do you want it? Uh, this we see now in, in, in retrospect was the uh, was the big folly of colonialism. For a little while, a generation or two, Europeans milked some of these uh, colonies in Africa and Asia, but now they're, they're, now's the revenge stage. You understand? And believe you me, these countries like England and France and all the rest, if they're honest, they'll say, we wish they never went and took over this part and that part far away in the world, and we wouldn't have to deal with those consequences today. But there is a payback. And as I said, a bunch of them had the whole thing set up I don't know the plan, of course, but you can see general outlines. And, you know, the the the, the, the uh, fact that a war now is broken out in the Ukraine. And, and not only that, but it's also Shiloh Der Khateva that Russia is losing because they should have the big Russian army. Uh, all this is part of, you know, Kibar Panech Nasat Lonotaras Chaim Yavis Chesed, all the rest of it. The absence of that is that big, powerful countries take over other countries. Nobody can stop them. And a little country like Israel, the Klai Israel, is toast, you see. So I just, it strikes me, when I'm looking at Parsha Bayilach, it's very powerful when they talk this way. And uh, you see, the, the last, this is basically the last conversation between Hashem and Moshe. Basically. Um, last substantive conversation. And what he's saying is, Hashem is saying, I want it on record uh, that when the bad stuff does happen, which, by the way, I predicted in the Tochacha not long before, that I said that they would, uh, you know, get get hurt, and I said that they would deny, and I said that they would blame it on me, Hashem not helping them. They wouldn't blame it on themselves as by their conduct earning the disapproval of God and therefore the Hester upon him. And therefore, he says, as we all know, uh, because Israel. So um, I want it on record uh, because maybe then, maybe the power of logic will uh, trump the emotional power. The emotional power is one that says. The emotional side of a person usually makes one reluctant to admit doing anything wrong. And the Jewish people as a people are definitely reluctant to admit they did anything wrong. Uh, the rabbinical culture is one that encourages self-criticism in a ritualistic way. <clears throat> We're now I'm saying this now in the Seris Mechuba. We're now reading the Slichas every morning. Uh, I don't know if you know what you're reading. Most of it, particularly before Russia, the Elul stuff, if you're Ashkenaz, is about national disasters. You know, the guy have it so good and look how bad we are and help us. Uh, but now, the says made sure you have a little bit more is our fault. You see? And Hashem says, I'm, uh, it's just interesting that I want it on record so I shouldn't look like the bad guy. This is 
Lamdas Bnei Yisrael Sima Befim. Do you read this? It's in the parsha. That I carried out my part and brought him to Israel. And they, and they betrayed me. And this bad behavior towards me, this infidelity, is going to trigger a tochacha. And when that happens, I know they're bad, Yetzer, even before the, the, the thing starts. So, it's just weird, because Hashem could stop it, and He could change them, but He chooses not to. You understand? He says, I got you to Israel, um, Moshe's going to die, you're going to be in your own, and you're not going to do well. It will not do it, it will not do work well. So this is the bad mood that Moshe's in when he comes, some of the Jews themselves, and he says, uh, you know, uh, take this copy to save the Torah and put it over there. I don't want legends to pop up. <clears throat> you understand? Uh, let's put it this way. If, how should I put this? You had 12 tribes, or whatever, 13, and they eventually got to Israel, and they settled in their own land, and every tribe became very tribalistic. The people in Menashe were from Menashe, the people in Ephraim were from Ephraim, people in Shimon from Shimon, and so forth. Um, if you ask them, Gee, Grandpa, what was it like being in the desert? What was it like being in slave in Mitzrayim? All the rest of it. Oh, they'll concoct a whole bunch of stories. That's what people do. And by the way, they'll construct a narrative the way everybody in the world constructs their narrative. I'm the hero. I did nothing wrong. And everybody and all the bad stuff is somebody else's fault. And Moshe Rabbein is aware of this. And because of this, he says, I want a master copy of the Torah. In other words, a copy that you can't tamper with because he gives one to each tribe, according to the Gemara. He gives one <coughs> to each tribe before he dies. But he has a master copy placed in the Aram, which hopefully nobody will tamper with because Moshe doesn't trust them. You know, in the Ruvain, Sefer Torah, they'll write, give Ruvain uh, three quarters of Israel. In the uh, Zvulun, Sefer Torah, they'll write, give Zvulun three quarters of Israel. You know? And for all I know, they might say, Ruvain wasn't a Bechor, Zvulun was the Bukhar. People do tamper with this stuff. So Moshe says, I want a, a master copy that no one can tamper with. Okay? Because believe me, I know what, what, what people are. This is a funny speech. Now, pretty soon he's going to get to Zosa Bracha. He's going to be in a more mellow mood. But before that happens, he really tears into them. It's just interesting. And the reason is, he worked for 40 years and not much to show for it. I know your rebelliousness, and you know, I know uh, your, your, your stiff neck. Even when I was there, and I was pretty impressive, Moshe says, if I say so myself, and I couldn't stop you from rebelling against Hashem. What's going to happen when I'm gone? I would have the fact that he has Yeshua. He knows very well. Yoshua ain't Moshe. Yoshua doesn't claim to be Moshe. And Itaka wasn't. And when I'm gone, you're definitely going to go up to Derech. So, it's just an interesting state of mind that Moshe, you know, uh, uh, is leaving the Jewish people on. He doesn't say, oh, I'm thinking of you and all the rest of it. Uh, instead, he says, Get me all the VIPs together. 
I know that this tochacha, which I pronounced shortly, a short while ago, because the tochacha in Kisavo, and now we're in Vayelach, it's all the last year of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, and it's, it's even the last month or two or less of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, and he gave the tochacha as a, as a, as a uh, desperate attempt to try to persuade him. But you want to know something? I mean, I think I know what's going on. A parent goes and says to a kid, you know, don't uh, drink and drive. I'm going to give you one of those movies they show you in the driving course. At least they used to, you know, everybody busted up in an accident. And you want to know something? It don't do jack. The kids watch it. They go through the program. It doesn't affect their behavior whatsoever. We, uh, you see this a lot. You know, somebody has a drug thing. They give them one of these, uh, you know, drug rehab situations. And they show you movies and, you know, statistics. And they prove with scientific undeniability that the behavior that the kid is following is a, is a self-destructive behavior. And what's the result? Zero. You understand? Because it's, it's, it's not true that when you present reason and scientific evidence, it generates a change. It ought to, but it doesn't. We see that with the anti-vaxxers and the pro-vaxxers. Each one time is about the other one. The pro-vaxxers say the anti-vaxxers ignore the evidence. And the anti-vaxxers say that about the pro-vaxxers. In other words, people are governed by things other than, you know, straightforward uh, logic. And therefore, I can just see what's going to happen to you guys. You see? I've tried my best to explain, and the Tocha, after listening to the Tocha, the theory was, if I tell you how bad things will happen, that should scare you to the point where you won't do anything bad anymore. If I told you, you know, if you drive this car which has bad wheels, you're going to have a terrible crash, and I describe in, in detail what the crash is going to look like, and so on and so forth. Ordinarily, you'd think logically, the person said, well, then I'm not going to drive that car. I'll avoid that. What if the kid goes ahead and says, like, I don't care, I'm going to drive it anyway. So then there's nothing to do. So logic doesn't work to what the claw you throw. It does not work with them. They're going to, uh, and this is our history. Okay? So it's a very, very interesting and pessimistic uh, Parsha. And it's just funny that we always read it, always, either just before or just after Rosh Hashanah, or, you know, in other words, either like we're doing this year in the Sarah Made Chu in this way or just around that time. And uh, let's put it this way it's supposed to make us thoughtful. Because to some degree or another, we are sometimes like that. We have self-destructive behaviors or bad behaviors. And if we're honest, and we look in the mirror and nobody else is there, you talk to yourself honestly, you know it's not good. That doesn't mean you stop it. What about the fact that it's a, you know self-destructive? People smoke anyway. <laughs> you know They know it's scientifically self-destructive. It doesn't matter. So, uh, Parshas Vayelech, although it's the shortest Parsha, is in some ways the one that packs the most powerful punch because it calls attention to certain Jewish characteristics which have not changed that much in 3,000 years. And, um, you know, obviously, there's what you call the B'nai Torah element. That's not the right word to use, but, you know, the genuinely from people that learn from these, uh, you know, things. From That's why we have Parsha Shua to read the Chumash. But it's also true that there's plenty of people that read the Parsha Shua every week and are not affected by what they see whatsoever. <laughs> At least when I look around, I see people to the right of me and left of me, and they're probably saying that about me. 
You know, just because you know what happened when Kali Yisrael made a gay goes off, or when they messed up with Korach, or they messed up here, or that and the other, doesn't mean that as a result, I'm going to make sure not to do that mistake. Rather, they say it's very interesting, Parsha. It's interesting for it. But, uh, you know, it doesn't apply to me. <laughs> I'm perfect. So, um, if you read the Parsha with with uh, with with a jaundiced eye, then indeed it's very tsugapast. It's very fitting for the time of the year of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. That's what I think, anyway. Um, that's all I can ever sh- uh, share with you of what it, what occurs to me. So, with that, um, I'm going to go back to the grind. And I do want to thank, uh, of course, Mishpach Stefanski for many things, but also for uh, being the first sponsor for this year. And I hope we'll get uh, other sponsors for the Haftor and whatever else is coming later in the week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.